This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. Uh, my name is John Cleeton and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Danny Eckert, who's the senior author of the paper Multi-Night Prevalence, Variability and Diagnostic Misclassification of Obstructive Sleep Apnea, which was recently published in the Blue Journal. Dr. Eckert is the Matthew Flinders Professor and Director of Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health in Flinders University in Australia. Danny, before we discuss your paper, can I start with just a couple of general questions about obstructive sleep apnea? How common is it and how is it usually diagnosed? Well, it's, uh, it's an incredibly common uh, chronic respiratory disorder. Uh, the estimated prevalence rates are in the order of about a billion adults suffer from this uh, condition. And currently the way it's uh, diagnosed is uh, overnight polysomnography is the uh, gold standard, so a single uh, overnight visit to a, to a sleep laboratory, to an academic or a private centre. Although more commonly these days, uh, those uh, technologies are also being rolled out uh, into the home uh, in various forms uh, via a single overnight uh, diagnostic study. So that's, that's generally how it's uh, diagnosed these days. Okay, and how's the severity determined? And what are the consequences of misdiagnosis or misclassification? Well, it's actually the history around this is, is it really goes back to the original paper recordings uh, where we could record things in 30 second segments. But the way uh, we quantify the severity uh, is really around what we call the apnea hypopnea index or the number of uh, brief uh, well, actually, they last at least 10 seconds, a narrowing of the upper airway or a complete closure in the case of uh, an apnea. Uh, they get counted up. So those, those uh, uh, episodes of airway closure or narrowing need to last for longer than 10 seconds. They need to result either in a, a brief awakening or a, or a decrement in, in oxygenation. And the severity categories vary. Uh, mild, we consider uh, in the range of 5 to 15 events per hour. Uh, 15 to uh, 30 events per hour, we would consider it moderately severe and over 30 events per hour is uh, severe obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, and clearly there uh, are important uh, consequences of, of, of misdiagnosis. You can, uh, that can lead to either inadequate treatment uh, if uh, uh, suggesting that someone does not have sleep apnea, in fact, when they do, and, and of course, uh, over treatment if, if, uh, if the opposite is true. Okay, so let's move to your, to your paper. Uh, what, what were the objectives of your study? Well, really what we were uh, interested in here was, was twofold. We wanted to uh, use this novel under sensor, uh, under mattress sensor technology to firstly have a look in a large consumer cohort. Uh, what are the prevalence rates when we measure multi-night uh, 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 diagnoses of sleep apnea? So instead of just a single night, this technology in the home allows us to get estimates of sleep apnea severity over multiple nights. So that's first thing we want to look at in this study. And then we wanted to use that data. And in fact, uh, you know, it was over six months of data on, on average per uh, participant that we had. 
we wanted to see uh, what would be the impact if we, uh, in terms of uh, diagnosis, uh, misdiagnosis and misclassification, whether we measure just one night versus multiple nights and, and how that might affect our uh, confidence uh, around uh, diagnoses. So as you just mentioned, you used a novel under-mattress sleep analyzer. This is new to us. Can you describe this technology? It's, it's actually very clever in that um, it's, it's rather simple. So it's just a, uh, uh, it's actually a pressure uh, sensitive uh, uh, piece of technology. It just slip, sits under uh, any mattress. And what it, what it detects is these pressure uh, movements that are detected through the mattress. So it, it detects breathing uh, movements, uh, it detects heart rate, uh, and there's also a, a microphone in there to, to, uh, to detect snoring sounds. So it uses all that information you know, quite uh, sophisticated uh, algorithms and, and detection uh, uh, engineering processes behind it to come up with a uh, machine learning sort of principles to uh, derive sleep apnea severity. And, and it's been validated. The initial uh, paper was uh, published in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine, and there was uh, about 150 participants that directly had their mattress sensor technology under the mattress via uh, at the same time of simultaneously recording uh, in laboratory polysomnography but we were you know this was sort of new technology and we wanted to also validate it ourselves to convince ourselves that it was working so we uh, repeated that in this study in fact uh, in about 35 people with sleep apnea in our laboratory under the same conditions uh, and we got the similar uh, similar data so it's about 80 percent when you look at the receiver operator characteristics it's about 80 percent uh, as accurate as a, a single night uh, polysomnography uh, uh, study. Great, thanks. Now, who was your study population and how did you select them? Well, in, in fact, here we took advantage of a, of a consumer uh, study population. So these are people uh, around the planet who have, um, for one reason or another, have heard about this technology, uh, they've purchased it themselves. And, uh, and, and the beauty here was it was a large population. So it was over 65,000 people that were able to study. Um, on, and on average, they had uh, six months of nightly data uh, per participant. So it was a really, you know, a very... Uh, large uh, uh, data set that we're able to uh, interrogate for this study. Okay. Now, um, what were the primary findings of your study? Well, the, the in terms of our, our first goal around around prevalence, um, when we looked at how many people had a estimated apnea hypopnea index over 15 events per hour uh, globally using this technology, so we took the average uh, of these uh, nightly recordings across that six-month recording period, and we found uh, yeah, very high rates of sleep apnea in these, in these participants um, uh, in the order of uh, around 20% of the people in the adult study. And, and when we looked at the sort of characteristics for the information we had, they were sort of similar to WHO uh, characteristics in terms of the population characteristics. And interestingly, um, that number is, is very similar to much smaller studies, you know, cohort studies that have been conducted with single night either in home or in lab polysomnography with you know one or two thousand people um, so those estimates uh, are high but they are in line with uh, with other uh, uh, you know smaller cohort studies using the existing technology so that was the first finding and uh, uh, you know so that really again puts us uh, you know over a billion people are estimated to have you know more than 15 breathing stoppages per hour of sleep uh, uh, according to these numbers 
And the second finding really was around those misclassification rates. Um, uh, now, this is uh, this was interesting. Uh, it tells us that uh, in the order of 20 to 50 percent, if you just rely on a single diagnostic night, uh, you are likely to get the uh, severity category uh, uh, wrong. So either saying people have got sleep apnea when they do not, or uh, or vice versa. So, you know, really quite um, alarmingly high rates uh, if you're relying on a single night test. So what do you think the important factors are causing this night to night variation in apnea severity? Well, and, and, and this is a, an important question. We know some of these uh, components, but I think there's, there's really scope to investigate these further. The things that we do know about, we know people's sleep apnea is worse when they're sleeping on their back. Uh, so, so body position is, is crucial. So that can be one uh, you know, large source of, of physiological variability. Uh, other environmental factors, uh, seasonal effects, um, you know, uh, more pollens in the air may trigger um, you know, rhinitis and hay fever and these sorts of things that may lead to nasal congestion and uh, uh, contribute to increased incidences of, uh, uh, or cases of, of, or severity of sleep apnea. Other things, alcohol, uh, sleep deprivation, lifestyle factors can all contribute. And then of course, there is uh, a variability in our, in our measurement. Uh, now, perhaps less so with the uh, objective technology that we used in, in this day, because we're not relying on human scoring. It's actually just looking at the physiological signals that we're collecting. But we know that with the gold standard technology, it's relying on a, on a person looking at every breath uh, and deciding whether they're um, breathing, following some rules, but there's, there's a lot of subjectivity there. So that's another source of, of, of variability in, uh, in, in at least the way we measure uh, sleep apnea severity. Did the amount of night-to-night variability in apnea severity vary a lot between individuals? And, and do you think there may be some clinical significance in having a high uh, inter-night variability? Uh, look, we do. We think this is really important. And, uh, you know, our group and others are really interested in this idea of different uh, both physiological and, and clinical phenotypes of sleep apnea. Uh, and we did indeed find that some people... Uh, uh, were actually quite stable night to night, where others jumped around severity categories a lot. And uh, we think that that might be quite important uh, in terms of driving a number of health outcomes. So, uh, you know, that is the people with, with larger night to night variability and sleep apnea severity uh, may be at risk of a, of a range of adverse health outcomes. And our preliminary data that we're looking at uh, here, where we've also got uh, uh, blood pressure recording, tells us that this variation in, in uh, uh, a night-to-night severity of sleep apnea is actually a major driver of, or at least it's strongly associated with, with hypertension, um, just being one of, of potentially many uh, you know, important clinical outcomes that, that might be related to this. So, you know, with that in mind, we think that there's a lot of scope to add these uh, types of measurements to the, to the current uh, diagnostic, uh, diagnostic procedures that we're uh, already using to, to provide additional insight. So how do your results compare with, with other studies of prevalence and night-to-night variability? Remarkably similar, actually. Uh, so yes, this is certainly not the, the first study of night-to-night variability. What it has allowed, it, you know, it is the first, certainly the first of its size because we've, we've been able to use the technology to get such a large sample over so many nights. But the prior studies that have looked at night-to-night variability, you know, they've, they've done, you know, one, two, three nights, sometimes up to a week. 
um, using that more cumbersome uh, recording approach. But again, the, the ranges that are in those studies, much smaller, of course, uh, show that it is in about that 20 to 50% of uh, cases, it varies substantially and, and, and will lead to, to misclassification. Uh, Equally, as I highlighted before, in terms of the uh, the, the prevalence, uh, our our data also uh, line up very well uh, in terms of the uh, uh, those with moderate to severe sleep apnea. Uh, the, the data look very similar uh, for those categories. So I think you probably agree that your study population wasn't a random sample. The subjects had all chosen and had the funds to purchase uh, the under mattress device. And, and would you agree they probably were more likely to have sleep related symptoms? Well, yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, they certainly were not a random sample. They were consumers who have uh, selected. So, so socioeconomically, they've, they've had the funds, as you, as you highlight, to, uh, you know, to purchase this technology. They've got the interest in health, whether it's, uh, there's, there's probably different types. There's the, the, you know, the healthy folks that are just uh, very interested in, in health and want to monitor any of the signals they can. And there's sort of been an explosion in that space in terms of wearables and nearables. Um, so that's probably one group. And yes, as you point out, there are probably others that are generally concerned about their, their, their sleep. And, uh, uh, and so, yes, uh, absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, more roughly 80% of the cohort were, were men uh, and only 20% women. So there alone is, is, is a different difference. That being said, um, in terms of the, the demographic characteristics uh, that we looked at and then from the data we had available, it was very similar to World Health Organization data. And, and as I've already highlighted, the, the prevalence and the other um, components uh, that we're seeing actually line up very closely to uh, other uh, randomly uh, population samples. So uh, yes, not, not certain on that, but it, it does seem to line up uh, uh, similarly to those other, other studies. I've always speculated that sleep apnea will be worse on a Friday night uh, or weekends when people tend to drink more, be a little bit more relaxed. Were you able to look at uh, specific days of the week with your, with your data and see whether it varies uh, on the, uh, during the week or during the weekends? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And... Um... We, we, you know, and that's the beauty of this technology and the, and the data set that we have. You know, we're interrogating this in, in multiple ways and, and looking at, at these sort of questions. We have not yet specifically looked at, at that question uh, in, in relation to time of uh, sleep apnea severity in, in relation to uh, weekdays, um, but certainly we could. But what we have uh, already done initially is, is look at um, sort of sleep duration because this technology, obviously, uh, very sensitive actually at picking up when people are. Uh, lying, you know, certainly in terms of time in bed, um, uh, it can detect very nicely. And we did see that sort of social jet lag phenomenon of, of less sleep during the week uh, and, and more on the weekends with this technology. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of many fascinating questions that we will now be able to pursue, um, you know, looking at this data set because the, the data is right there. But as you can imagine, there's a lot of it and uh, it's, uh, it's there for us to uh, interrogate. Uh, can we extrapolate your findings from the under mattress monitor to other home sleep apnea uh, systems? Look, there's, there's so much technology out there now and they all measure slightly different things. Um, and uh, so it really depends on... Um, you know, what uh, the level, you know, obviously in sleep apnea, we talk about, you know, level one being the gold standard. Then we've got level two where we're just uh, replicating that technology in the home. Uh, so basically taking the PSG into the participant's home, albeit in, in an unmonitored setting. And then we've got level three and level four where you've got, you know, more and more limited channel testing. 
what we do know, I guess, in terms of extrapolating to other home monitoring systems, uh, a very nice study uh, by Naresh Punjabi and colleagues where they actually did home testing over three nights, I believe, uh, published in Chess recently. And again, our results line up very closely to, uh, to the participants that they sort of prospectively studied uh, using that simple uh, home monitoring uh, technology. So uh, look, I think there are some, there is some certain overlap there. Um, and, uh, but again, it will ultimately depend on, on what uh, uh, measurements are being made. So the major question your study raises is, how many studies does it take to, to obtain an accurate apnea hypopnea index? And, and look, that, um, that, that is clearly important. And, um, but I, I also just want to raise the point that we and others are you know, very interested in, in perhaps realigning and redefining the way we think about how we uh, diagnose and, and, and ultimately treat this very common disorder. Yes, uh, apnea hypopnea index, this frequency measurement uh, is, is what we traditionally relied on and, and it's clearly important, but ultimately, um, we think a better approach is um, trying to uh, capture the physiological signals and information uh, that is, is lined up with, with the health outcomes of interest. So that might be, uh, we know there's multiple consequences of sleep apnea, it might be cognitive impairment, it may be sleepiness, it may be cardiovascular disease, it may be metabolic problems uh, and so forth. So we think, um, you know, we already capture so many physiological signals, we, we think there's better ways to use the uh, existing information to actually better line up who has most at risk, what are the consequences and which treatments are, you know, can be targeted to each of those problems on an individual basis. So I just, just wanted to say that first, but ultimately uh, we did look at this question and we had some nice uh, letters to the editor that came in around this. Um, and so we were able to look at our data and, and effectively what we see is um, when we, it's sort of an exponential curve uh, up until about five nights. So after about five nights, things start to, uh, to uh, level out in terms of your uh, ability to uh, uh, narrow that confidence interval uh, around uh, an, a mean AHI uh, number. So it would seem that somewhere in between five and 10 nights is, is, is optimal and in really narrowing down that, uh, that confidence around uh, an ac accurate AHI number. Now that will depend on, on different severity categories. It seems um, you know, some of these numbers, are, as you would expect, are more variable in different severity categories and various individuals. But uh, that's what our, our data um, suggests. And, and uh, we've written back on that in terms of our, our letter to the editor response, where we sort of show those curves and uh, as well as the information already provided in the paper. So what else should the clinician take from your findings? And, uh, and how should we diagnose and classify sleep apnea in the future? Well, I think the, the important take home really is that um, this is a, again, a very common disorder uh, and it's a very variable disorder. Uh, and uh, we think that some of that variability, whether it be um, uh, that physiological variability and sleep apnea uh, severity or all the other causes that drive it are actually really important for driving these important health outcomes. And, and that's certainly going to be a, a future direction of research um, looking at that. We've already seen um, in, in much smaller data sets uh, in the cardiology literature uh, where they've got the, the loop recorders in place and people with atrial fibrillation where it can uh, estimate sleep apnea severity on a night-to-night -night basis. 
Uh, and those recent data have shown us that if your sleep apnea on the nights where your sleep apnea is worse, you are much more likely to have uh, atrial fibrillation events on the next day. So, so this is already, we know that this variation is important uh, and these sorts of technologies are now allowing us to uh, uh, you know, capture some of that. So I think that the, these, um, uh, the findings of this work and the, and the novel technology will allow us to get a much better um, clinical phenotype pro, uh, profile of our patients and, and hopefully uh, better define the uh, severity, disease consequences, and, uh, and, and ultimately lead to, to better targeted therapies. That's all been very helpful. Man. Any final comments that we haven't covered? I think we've covered a lot. And uh, I, I uh, again, I just uh, I, I want to thank uh, you and the listeners for uh, your interest in the study and uh, wish everyone a, uh, a good night's sleep. Good. So I'd like to thank Dr. Eckert for this very interesting discussion. Uh, to the listener, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. Uh, to listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Pay. Uh, you can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So thanks again for listening and have a great day.